This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. And thank you so much for joining us today. I am so glad that you continue to enjoy us or uh, join us on this ongoing uh, conversation on how to create a just society right where you are. And today we're getting into chapter seven of the compendium on social justice. And we're talking about economics and how just uh, economics work out. How do you create a just uh, economy? Now, today we will not be getting into grand details. We're just kind of doing an overview. In fact, I have a guest with us today to talk, show how they are uh, living out economy in their neighborhood. But on the next episode, we will get more into the uh, look at the main economic systems that are in place and kind of critiquing those and looking a little bit more creatively at economy, especially springboarding off this conversation. But today I am very pleased to welcome as a guest, my uh, dear friend, Bert Fitzgerald, uh, who is uh, part of a Catholic worker house in Northeast Portland. So Bert, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Yeah, it's definitely a pleasure to have you here, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I've seen up close the amazing work you do and the other folks at the Catholic Worker House, and I, I love how completely localized it is. Now, I know you're you're bringing others in uh, on your economic strategies, and we'll talk more about that later, but yeah, I just love to see what's happening up close. So before we really get in this conversation, can you explain to listeners uh, what you all do? Yeah, so we're Simone Vey Catholic Worker, Simone Vey House, we call ourselves. So the Catholic Worker tradition um, is one, uh, we could go into it in more detail, but let's say uh, MCs are hospitality, Christian hospitality. As Dorothy Day, the founder of the movement, would say, uh, we all have an obligation to Christ the stranger. So that means it's not just social services, the question of homelessness writ large, or of other lack of other basic resources. So it's the idea that uh, a Christian family, a, a parish, a, a household shared by, especially by an intentional community focusing on this, we, we can do hospitality. We can bring in people who are in need of the most basic things. So we do that. And uh, we also have a face to our neighborhood just to create community there. And... Um, and the reason I'm on this podcast today, I guess, is that we are very interested in small-scale economy, when the word economy actually uh, points us in that direction, actually. So uh, a type of economy that is built on relationship and comes directly from our faith, and that's the type of economy that people are less likely to fall between the cracks of. So we try to um, help people to create bonds in mainstream life, as well as to help those in special need because they are no longer part of those bonds. Wow, that that's great, and I appreciate the work uh, you all do. Um, you had mentioned economy, 
and mainstream economy and all those things. And when people usually think of economy, of course, they think of, you know, uh, money exchange, uh, the movement of goods, uh, budgets, uh, corporations, all those things. But really, what is economy? Yeah, it's something that I took some inspiration in is when I realized, learned that the, the word economy comes from a Greek word, oikonomia, which basically means household management. So to say uh, household economy is actually uh, redundant. It's uh, the extrapolation goes the other direction. We're talking about essentially how a household works. And then we extrapolate outwards to, to talk about the macro economy, which I, and I think we can, we, if we pay attention to the, the direction of this connection, we learn a lot. We've learned that something like a household, basically of basic inputs and outputs um, of that that are at the scale of relationship. Like this person has to do this. We can't just buy this thing. We have to make this thing. We have to figure this thing out. It, that that type of tapestry of, of relationship within a traditional household, a traditional household isn't a nuclear family, but you know, there, let's say there are 20 people around. Uh, at that type of scale, working that all out, that's what the word economy means. Um, so we take inspiration from that. And, and also you, you may have heard you know, in a Christian context, uh, a phrase like the economy of salvation, that basically God is an economy and God's salvific will for us is an economy. So starting from those places, I think we, if we start from there, then we're on better footing for thinking about what an economy in terms of money should look like. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring that up because as you look into uh, the Old Testament, you see God establishing a nation saying through this nation is going to come salvation and here's how the economy should run. Very detailed uh, mm -hmm. strategies for the economy of Israel that are spelled out in the Old Testament. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting if we practice those in modern times to see how that would uh, yeah. go out. Yeah, when when you say that, the first thing that comes to mind, again, um, for the for the work that we're doing, that like the word economy, which we were talking about there, was a big inspiration, just kind of contemplating that. But also... Um, yeah, the economy of salvation um, is is basically God's family making or covenant covenant making, and covenant making is family making. And so then you think, well, okay, what what does a family economy look like? Well, it's it's not it's not one it's not transactional. I mean, th think about you know your relationships with the family members you live with. I mean, sure, every everyone pitches in, but everyone's in need. But it's it's not a, it's certainly not anonymizing. It's not extractive, and it's not really transactional. So. Anyway, so um, so that that's something we take inspiration from is that uh, if the Old Testament, a lot of the books that are maybe the most onerous ones of the Old Testament are, you know, like, what does Numbers have to do with us? What does Leviticus have to do with us? Actually, there's a lot of really interesting, it says a lot of really interesting things mm -hmm. about what, what it means to be in family relationship to each other. And uh, the words, you know, the words that were, are in common use now from Sabbath to redemption and mm -hmm. so on, take their original meaning in that context. Yeah, and over the last couple episodes, we've covered how the family is a complete society in itself. And then last time we talked about work and looked at work and Sabbath and all of mm. those, you know, so it all ties. Nice. Okay, you're economy. lining up your topics well then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the compendium's doing it well. well oh, see well, which great. Way yeah, it goes. They did yeah. that first. Now let's get into details about bigger economies, capitalism, socialism, the things that we're just used to thinking of in terms of economy because people obviously live within those atmospheres. Um, I want to talk about the current ethos of economy, which is uh, alienation. 
and how, you know, these bigger systems of economies alienate people. But let's talk about that for a minute. How does the current economies of the world alienate people? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's coming from all sorts of directions. But the first thing that comes to mind as you say that is uh, to think of things in terms of, let's put things in another interesting key, the, the body. So Christ's body. Um, but, you know, the word body, corpse, corpus. Um, the corporation. The corporation is a corporate body, and the body of Christ is a corporate body. So if you think about, so alienation, well, it might just be the fact that the most common structure we use to organize ourselves economically is one that presupposes alienation. So let's say, um, let you know, let, let's say, uh, let, let's take, um, I'm, I'm not trying to create particular villains here because I think it's more of a, a systemic type of thing, but let's say you're Walmart. Okay, Walmart, you know, there's uh, maybe their, their headquarters in Arkansas or something like that. So maybe all the, create, all the creative work is all done there. And the ownership, okay, well, the own, it's, it's owned by uh, stockholders. They don't really, they're not in relationship with the creative people. They're not in relationship with the consumers or with the workers or with the managers. All of these things are separated out so much that the, that, uh, the kind of the warmth of relationship and the type of sympathy and compassion that we develop just from sharing life with one another can't, um, that can't inform the way that business is run. It literally can't, not because they're bad people. Well, I mean, we're, that would mean we're all bad people because we all own stock in these things. Or, you know, most people, if you, if you hold any wealth, it's probably, it's likely held in ways like that. So, which is to say, just by participating in the normal structures of economy, we're participating in something that where the presupposition is a high level of alienation. So that I think is the starting point for our conversation is what could we do? Uh, how, how could we organize ourselves differently in, in the, yeah, how, how could we find those key points where we begin to organize ourselves differently? Yeah. And that's important because as we talk about, uh, employment and justice, as we did a five or six week series on that and, and just showing that the, the individual employee, uh, if they are are being stomped on or suppressed in their wages or, or in some way being oppressed, they have no voice to really speak up because they're, again, alienated from the decision makers. Mm-hmm. And so they really have no way to to get justice for their situation. And then we've got at-will employment in society, which then just completely strips the employee of all power. So it just more and more alienation. Now, Mm -hmm. one of the things I want to go back to, we were talking about is that, uh, in family, uh, is that economy. Uh, so that's where I am integrated in a community or like Mm -hmm. your Catholic worker community, people are integrated into a community. Uh, but how in the world do you achieve that in the midst of this systemic alienation? I'll try to give I'll try to give a two-part answer here. Is one is to, to go back to some so in in trying to make something out of this family and in covenant framework, um, in, in order to I w- want to frame up that I think it's actually more practical than we might think. Because we might think, okay, yeah, there's my family and then there's market forces. But the family is essentially just a blood thing. And and of course we can't do things only through blood. But if you think about it, family making is not a blood thing. I mean who is your spouse? Your spouse is definitely not someone related to you by blood. So you're only your children are. So essentially the 
family making is something is a way of creating bonds that didn't previously exist by blood. Mm-hmm. So it always has that it's if there's always this certainly this bond making and this kind of inward look to to take care of, but it's always an it's always outward as well. And and certainly we look at the history of covenants, it's God making covenant with people who were not previously in covenant with him or or redeeming those who had broken that covenant. So anyway, there's a way of saying maybe there's more to the family framework than the limits that we might first think of. So yeah, for ourselves, um, so the Catholic worker, we have two houses, so two two small houses and a few tiny houses in our backyard to do hospitality in. Um, Essentially, this is the the scale of a household. So we live uh, we live a common Christian life there that we can invite others into. And on the one hand, that's that's um, the rooms that aren't lived in by volunteer staff members, intentional community, are people who would otherwise be living outside on the street. Um, so that's, and then we, we share meals together. We just, we, uh, you know, all have chores. We all, we all benefit from it, but we all contribute in some way. And everyone who's with us can contribute in some way. And that's an important part of what it means to be family, not just a, you know, a, a, a charity case, um, because that of course can be alienating in another way. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, but we, we're something, we're only three years old, but we're, we're trying to both broaden and deepen that, that life. So that's sharing more prayer together, sharing, uh, sharing meals together, um, inviting people in the neighborhood and people in need to those meals. And we have a couple that are like that already. We have a free refrigerator and pantry and a clothing closet in our front yard that a lot of people come to. And now a question uh, or one of our current projects is is how to invite those people further in. So people who, you know, you come and get something you need out of that refrigerator. Well, we'd like to get to know that person too and have a meal mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Um, how can we be regular enough about that that people could think of our house as actually a sort of open door place, a place where you could get to know people. And on the basis of those sort of relationships, that's where we can build a different type of economy because we know someone's need and we have some sympathy towards that person. They're not just someone who is of this income type or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading a few years ago, a book that I I dearly love, uh, life on the vine. It's called by Philip Kennison, who's a professor in East Tennessee of all places. And he, he, he he creates this very deep, uh, analysis of the fruit of the spirit that St. Paul talks about love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. And in that he talks about this whole random acts of kindness and in society, and he's like, actually, true kindness is born from relationship, not like I'll pay for the gas for the guy behind me, but mm. rather I know you, I actually know your need. And I may know that withholding something from you is an act of kindness because I know you mm-hmm. uh, or whatever, you know. So if you have an addiction, I know that not giving you money is an act of kindness. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's keeping you alive <laughs> yeah. or, or whatever it may be. But yeah. yeah, and I like that. I was thinking the other day I had went to the hardware store to, to get a, a tool I needed. That's a local hardware store. And I was reflecting back on the days of just the neighborhood hardware store. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe, the guy that owns it. And people wouldn't just go to the hardware store to buy something. They actually would hang out, swap stories, you know, just thinking of that kind of thing where there's yeah. a knowing that's happening. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Actually, that, that reminds me of a of an example that we like to use for our banking projects. If you mind, you mind yeah. if I jump into that just because I'm reminded of sure. by what you just said. Um, a lot of uh, probably a lot of people listening to this have uh, watched the film. It's a Wonderful Life, mm-hmm. and you you may remember that as the as the you know as Jimmy Stewart and his wife get married, um, they're about to go on that long awaited honeymoon. And then there's the bank run and, you know, it's a disaster. They, they go into the building, the building and loan and everyone who's a member is gathered there. And mm-hmm. when I say member, building and loan is a, is a cooperative credit right. union. It's just a type of credit union, which is a cooperative in terms of banking. Yeah. And so the, so the, here are these people who basically know each other. They're gathered in this room and they're thinking, uh, the market just fell apart we need to take our money and run and you need to let us take our money and run yeah. because that's, that's what you do in this sort of situations, what everyone else is doing. And at first, Jimmy Stewart's also like, Oh, well don't do that. <laughs> and they're like, we need to do that. And then, and then, um, when, Oh, what's her name? I, I wish I was remembering her name. I don't, I don't generally know actors and actors names. Uh, uh, his wife takes the, Valerie. takes the kitty from their, um, from their, uh, from their honeymoon trip and says, I've got this amount. This will hold us over. And then everyone, everyone there, instead of going off of what they thought they were technically entitled to, well, and they were technically entitled to, the thing is, if they took what they were entitled to, the place would close and everyone's home that was invested in would be foreclosed on. So it's sort of like if everyone adopted that logic, they would both lose a lot of their own resources and the people's homes would also be for, and so this is the logic that, you know, that this was why we talk about the great depression and, and, uh, so, but he got them to the, what was brilliant about that is, um, going back to the hardware store example, these are people who know, who are invested in each other enough. They could say, okay, I have $150 here, but if I took 20, just enough to hold me over and they took 20, you took 20, we can save this thing that is a common bond between us. And then, you know, and then, um, yeah, so in a sense, I, I see that as very much like, uh, this is kind of like the, the theology of the cross, like Christ, Christ offers himself, like, so one person offers himself, in this case, Jimmy Stewart and his wife, they, they, they put in everything that they have, and then that allows everyone else to participate in that same gift. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, they save the thing that they're a part of. Yeah. And it's interesting that that's an economic move. Yeah. As well as a theological it one. Is, it's real. Yeah. yeah. Donna Reed, by the way. Was uh, the Donna yes, Reed. Thank but, you. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And it's interesting because then what they're, they do in that moment, too, is collectively take the power from the centralized uh, structure of Mr. Potter, mm-hmm. who was wanting a seize on the opportunity to take over that. Yeah. And that which leads us into our next question then I love the story appreciate you sharing that is people want to know well if we localize our economy how can we in in this ocean of systemic economies possibly make a difference how can I tell that what I am doing the way I am working a job the way I am consuming uh, products in a way where I can feel the change because, uh, you know, obviously what Jimmy Stewart did in that was a drop in the bucket compared to Mr. Potter's enterprise. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and we've been hit hard lately on globalization. So in the midst of all this global economy, how can somebody like yourself or someone else possibly feel like what yeah. they're doing is doing anything of that's good? 
Yeah, I won't pretend that that's an, an easy question to answer or that there's a, a simple answer to it. I think um, one thing is important is, sure, as an individual, you can't do anything, but you're not just an individual. You are a part of each of the groups that you're a part of. You're an important part of that group. You are you are a part of your family. You are a part of your neighborhood. You are a part of your parish. And you can, you may not be able to influence, let's say, directly the diocese, the bank, whatever, but you could probably influence people at that lower level, and you might know someone else who's a professional who has more influence on that particular thing. So, and I would say, um, I'll try to say a really short version of this. For ourselves, um, we didn't start from any, you know, anywhere in particular, and let's say in relation to banking. Um, you know, basically, I read the Pentateuch differently, kind of like what we were just talking about, the Old Testament. I was like, whoa, um, Sabbath, Jubilee, redemption, these these are all economic. Mm-hmm. I don't mean I don't mean as opposed to spiritual, I mean as one fabric with the spiritual, just like body, just like healing the body and healing the soul. Jesus wants us to see those mm-hmm. as two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing with an economic read of redemption and a spiritual read on it, etc. So um we just start with being inspired by these connections, and then someone says, Oh, you should talk to uh the partnerships officer for this credit union, Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. We talk for a couple of years and we put together a program where, uh, we're, and we're, that we're piloting. Right now it's one community, it's about to be a couple parishes as well, where essentially we can make zero interest loans where we ourselves within the community determine who gets the loan and we guarantee it within the community. So generally, the, uh, so it's not an algorithm that determines creditworthiness, it's relationship. And the loan is at zero interest, so it's benef- so um, so it's basically the logic of mutual aid. Like, and that's something we keep going back to. It's it's a good. I, I like that term that money can be. That essentially, that's what a cooperative is and a credit union. It's supposed to be using money by the logic of mutual aid, not to make more of it. Sure, you got to keep the lights on, but essentially, we're um, we we're just giving on the basis of need. And I'm sorry, not giving on the basis of need but lending on the basis of need and, and knowing that payment will be made because you're a part of this community and there's a relationship there. Um, that's how lending has happened for a very long time. So anyway, we got something like that together um, just because we just we just pressed on it and we found someone else with with a position of some power who who shared some of that vision. And now, and now we just did it within a, you know, a community that's the scale of a small nonprofit and uh, people who gather around a household. And then we're also a part of this parish. And now the parish wants to do it. And I know people this other parish. And now the people the people who gather uh, to talk about that, well, it's like, well, gosh, it's not just this one big structural part of my life, banking and um, and lending. Um, if we're gathering here, you know, I, uh, I harvest tomatoes in my backyard. I make laundry soap. Uh, I don't know how to recycle clamshell things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we can get together around these things that are smaller lifts and then when we do those things it makes us think gosh i i wonder wow i mean this isn't this this weird way of doing insurance gosh there there must be something underneath that and then we can look into that so it's one thing leads to another yeah. is basically my point yeah i like that and you know the fact is most of the products we buy on shelves which require shipping and manufacturing and all that we actually used to make mm-hmm. by hand in our backyards and so if somehow i hear a returning back to that. Now, what's interesting to me is um, is kind of the movement that's happening within all of this. But I want to go to this loan. You talked about 0% interest loans mm-hmm. based on relationship instead of algorithms. 
What's the difference between what an algorithm is trying to achieve and what a relationship achieves in terms of loan approvals? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, there are some simple things. So, um, one of the, one of the first people that we wanted to give a loan to, um, she was even, she was a part of a couple of credit unions in our area. So credit unions, not banks, but, and, but according to their algorithm, even though she had two jobs, um, somehow she there was some criteria that she didn't meet, so she couldn't get a loan. Even though, um, if you actually took the time to look at her situation and you know her, and you know you're a part of the parish that she's a part of, and so on, it's like, wow, this is actually this person will pay this back. Um, so anyway, the you don't, I, I don't know those algorithms. I've certainly not reverse engineered them. I'm not a statistician, but um, yeah. So there are first there are people who should be eligible to receive a loan who would not be according to an algorithm so that's part of it but maybe at least as important a part of it is just the process itself this is not like um i I think that we should consider it weird that let's say you're really close friends with your neighbor and you're doing something together and you know your neighbor would have to go to a bank and uh you know see what this algorithm says of what the and pays interest when um, maybe their neighbor could guarantee that loan, but there's just no mechanism for that to happen. But if there was, there would actually, you would actually have a deeper relationship with that person. And, uh, so as a little side point, I'll say here, one of the beautiful things about pursuing economics through relationship is that it takes a pressure off of pure sociality. So, so let's say, you know, you want to create community in your parish. Okay, what do you do? All right, let's let's go be community. Let's <laughs> hey, let's get to know each other. In another sense, well, what if you shared stuff together? What if you bought what if you bought things in bulk together or had to go through these processes together? You would get to know each other organically. Mm-hmm. And so so you could kind of start with relationship and see what comes from that, but you can also start by like doing some stuff together and then that creates relationship. So so in so in a, to go back to your original question, in dispensing with the algorithm, you have a more relationally rich process, and you could see that as an inconvenience, or you could see that as oh, this this is actually where we want the pressure to be on getting to know each other. Yeah, I think you hit on something. The inconvenience, unfortunately, and this is one of our downfalls, at least in America, is we've made convenience the goal. Therefore, if convenience becomes the goal, there I then I need to create all these things that are actually against nature and against relationship in order to achieve convenience. So Mm -hmm. uh, even the way we build our cars, Mm -hmm. right, is all about how does the car convenient for me? Uh, Which then, you know, for example, I've driven vehicles that are difficult to turn because there's no power steering. Mm -hmm. I actually build muscles in the process (laughs) and it gets easy after a while, get used to it. Yeah. But what then, because we need the convenience of, or demand the convenience of power steering where I can frankly turn my car with one finger, then I have to add extra fluids. So we got to extract, extract these fluids from the earth in mm-hmm. order to create this. And then they leak on the ground you know, and, and on and on it goes. So actually when you make convenience, the, the God, so to speak, then mm-hmm. uh, it just creates all these fallouts yeah that uh and relationship is not convenient uh uh and just like us let's think about the Mm -hmm. process of preparing for this podcast 
Uh, there was a lot of inconveniences. Why? Because one of us would leave an email or a voicemail. We mm -hmm. would have to wait on the other to respond. We couldn't get an immediate answer, right? But what happened in that process? Well, maybe I interiorly was strengthened by learning patience, or it, it, it told the other person you're valuable by allowing you space to think what you need to think before you respond and so on, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if convenience becomes the, the, the matter, then we begin to yell at each other. Next time you process. could have an artificial intelligence bot do your economic. Yeah, theory, there you, you go. Know, just, Maybe we'll, we'll have yeah. to think about the cost benefit. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, I, th I think two two sides of that that uh, occur to me are, yeah, one to what you were saying. Yeah, there are these when we make a god out of convenience, there are all of these externalities, these things we can't consider when thinking about that convenience that actually really bite us in the butt. Like well, mm -hmm. it could be environmental, yeah, and it could be. I mean, it's often on. So I know you've been uh, covering Catholic social teaching that would emphasizing um, the type of work required to create these conveniences. Mm -hmm. Well, creating a in a consumer economy, often mm -hmm. it's the the worker who suffers in mm -hmm. order to make. So let's say, I mean, what what's one reason, for example, we can't all have a Sabbath? Well, that would uh, then then there would be a day of the week when I couldn't get exactly what I want, exactly when I, when want, I it. want it. Yeah. So someone else has to be put out to be the work side of that. And that would just be an, an example, mm -hmm. one example, but I, I think our economy is essentially structured like that. And we should also, we should think of ourselves not just as consumers to be fought over, but also people who work. We're, we essentially are people who work and that work should be meaningful and there should be limits on it, like limits, not, not that the consumer should be able to have anything at any time, um, when there are limits, then we can respect the person as worker. Yeah. Um, the other part of that I wanted to say is though that, well, it's certainly true. And we both emphasize the ways that in, you have to embrace some amount of inconvenience to do relational, or I would say Christian economy. On the other hand, we should think about the types of convenience that can be reaped by, I, I, I think it's helpful to think about it in terms of mass attendance. You, you do go to church on Sunday that would be nice. Let's we go to church on Sunday. So what how could our lives be made more convenient by the fact that we're doing that? What if what if there were some things, some some interest, some parts of life that would be determined by the community that's gathered there? What if at the aftermath what if after mass there was a brunch where uh we had to work out some community-based things like uh the, the loan committee had to meet or we had to like pick up our orders for food or these things that we might that might otherwise let's say be two other trips during the week mm -hmm. instead so i i think that in order to to make this weight bearing we need to find out how can we take this inconvenient economy and actually make it kind of convenient as much as possible yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly and I, that's a good point to bring about and i was thinking in terms of conveniences too in the long term like what we sacrifice for convenience now may become inconvenient in the future, right? Uh, or what we sacrifice in that creates uh, inconvenience in the moment is actually creating convenience in the long term. In terms of even just friendship that comes out of that, like I said, my own purification mm -hmm. through the process of waiting, like on the Sabbath. Now, I want to ask a big question. There may not be an answer to this, but we are inundated by this global economy that has, has come about. Um, 
Is is it possible to move from global back to local economy? Yeah, I think I think in large part it is, but I think it's more it's more of a question of well if we're if we're human if we're human now and even in 50 years, you know, with some more biotechnology, we're still going to essentially be human, it's still essentially wired emotionally the way we are for yeah. human connection. Well, even if it seems really hard or against the grain of certain things, we still need to try to do it. And it might be that in 20 years, even though it's even more against the grain, it also is the case that it's even more obvious mm -hmm. and even more pressing the ways that we need to attend to this part of ourselves that, you know, as however we organize our supply chains, we are still wired for local connection. Mm -hmm. We still, I mean, human touch matters, being close to other human beings. Um, ev every aspect, you know, the aesthetic aspects of a, of a built environment, all these things matter and they don't matter any less um, when we build economic systems that, um, that presuppose something different about human nature. So I guess one part of the answer would just be, well, the question is there no matter what, what we're doing. And there's always going to be some open space to explore it because you're not the only one who's feeling alienated. Mm -hmm. You're not the only one who's missing something. Everyone else is too. And if we can connect with that aspect of, of uh, each other's existence, there's, there's, there's something to, to gather around that, that will, um, yeah, that I think people will want to put their energy into. But I, but I, I think I would also just go back to um, what I was saying about, um, you know, you could think of, you know, if, if there's a top and a bottom, you know, you could you could say, okay, well, the, the world, I mean, it's sort of top down or bottom up. You could say, okay, well, this is the global economy and then this is this section of it and this is this subsection of it. Um, but you, you could take that same whole and say, okay, this is this family, this is this neighborhood, and okay, well, these neighborhoods need to need to um, federate in order to do this larger thing. Okay, they do that. Okay, and then there's this even larger thing that has to happen at a state level. Okay, they federate. And you could look at that as, as going from the bottom up. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, a, the principle of subsidiarity that Catholic social teaching yeah. guides us towards. So you don't have to actually say, well, everything needs to be like what I can do with my two hands or what my neighbor uh -huh. could do for me, we could think of this as essentially federating groups of people as necessary in order to carry out larger things. Yeah. And I think what we need to rethink is what is necessary to do that. Because basically we've made everything global at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Things coming from China that we could have done locally, but other things like I've talked about within the, within the, uh, ecosystem of neighborhoods that you can't handle within your neighborhood, right? So I think what we need to do is ask the question is what needs federated and what could just remain local yeah, and not just make everything federated and make it top heavy. Yeah. 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 It's a question of, um, I don't know. I, I also like think of a metaphor of concentric circles. Um, so uh, when I, a, a different experiment in a public house it did in South Bend, Indiana, where I had a sort of a, an abandoned mansion to deal with. And the way I thought about that, uh, having trust economy meals was that, uh, it could either take the way that we would do this meal. If there were like five of us who knew each other and then expand the concentric circle to like, okay, let's do that same type of meal for 25 people. Yeah. Or I could look at the opposite. Well, what would scale to a thousand people? What, what type of algorithm, you know, experiment, <laughs> and then, and, and then plop that down into a context with 25 people. Now, are you going to have a better experience of that meal when you treat those 25 people like you treat five people or when you treat those 25 people 
like you would if you had to scale it to a thousand. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. we know the answer to that because yeah. we all like going to dinner parties on a Friday. Yeah. So that's why to go back to the previous note saying there's always going to be energy for that because we no matter how we structure our economy mm-hmm. we still like certain things as we're wired to be <laughs> social yeah. animals right very good well we're running uh late on time here but i want to talk about one of my favorite people in history especially recent history and that's dorothy day who mm-hmm. of course is responsible for the catholic yeah. worker houses uh let's talk about dorothy day what would she have to say in all of this well, she, um, she even before she became a Catholic, she was she reported on labor movement. So, kind of alienated labor, um, the the problems of scale, basically what you have to do to the in order to get the most profit out of the most people, the things you have to do to get that. So she was reporting on that. Then she became a Catholic and and met Peter Morin, and they decided, okay, we not only have to sort of expose some of the worst stuff here, we need to live. A solution to this at, mm-hmm. at a small scale so they they started taking people in, in actually in their newspaper office yeah they, uh, they started doing hospitality but then it was a newspaper so people read the newspaper called the catholic worker and there was like and the catholic worker told them to do this so they started doing hospitality and they called it catholic <laughs> workers just after the newspaper so yeah. i think that's what she would say would be uh what's the cha- what's the concrete challenge here we we you know we have a conversation about these mm-hmm. quote-unquote social issues mm-hmm. or or, I don't know, justice issues, or whatever it might do it. But let's never keep it there. Dorothy Day would never want us to keep it there. She says, what What could I do in my in my home, in my parish, in my neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, this has been a good conversation. Yeah, we thanks for having me, We could just go on and on. But yeah, any really final good. thoughts before we close out? No, I, I, I think that I think that would probably be a good note to end it on. I think the Catholic, yeah. the Catholic worker movement um, that we're a part of is about continually challenging us to, to practice the works of mercy and to live in our communities what, what the gospel is teaching us and, and what we think about the problems of society. What, what, does, that, what does that mean for how I, how I act today? Yeah, very good. Thank you so much, Bert, for joining us today. It's been yeah. a good conversation. Yeah, I yeah. Thanks, Mike. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you want to contact Bert, you can email him at bertrand. W Fitzgerald at gmail.com. That's Bert R A N D W Fitzgerald at gmail.com. And we will post that on the website at Modern Day Radio as well. Uh, and or you can email us at sjcommonsense at gmail.com. I hope that you were inspired by today's conversation and I wish you the best as you seek to create a just economy right where you are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MatraDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.